I was not meant to be a virtual pastor. <laughs> and I know that about myself. Um, and I recognized it kind of even, I don't think I was meant to be a virtual anything. I'm a, I'm a hands-on, in-your-face, let's get a whole bunch of people all together in a room and hang out until really late in the evening and enjoy each other's company kind of person and definitely that kind of pastor. I was not meant to come to people only on videos. I'm so awkward on a camera. I'm reckoning I was not meant to have to call a 20-year-old every single time I wanted to post a video on social media to get them to remind me, do I need to hold it this way or this way? Is it a hot dog or is it a hamburger? Like, what am I supposed to do today for this? Um, and yet we endured a season. March the 22nd was supposed to be our very last um, public gathering service together um, at Belmont University in the Trout Theater. After a hundred-year legacy of being on that campus as a church, it was Two years in of Rolling Hills, and it was supposed to be our last week. March 29th was supposed to be our soft launch, which is kind of what today is, of this brand new location. And we were not supposed to be worried about social distancing. We were supposed to be concerned with how many people can we pack in this place. On April the 12th, we were supposed to celebrate our very first Easter as a congregation in our permanent campus home. On April the 26th, we were supposed to gather together in a big parking lot party and all of the events and all of the fun and the balloons and the games for kids and all of the food trucks, yes, the food trucks, and have a big grand opening celebration to say, hey, neighborhood, we're here. And, and, and then COVID-19 happened, and life was interrupted, and everything about all of our plans changed. Schools was canceled, work was canceled, life going out into the streets and eating at restaurants and hanging out your friends was effectually canceled. And here we are, June 14th, and we didn't do any of the stuff that we had planned for months my kids didn't get to go to youth camp. My wife and I didn't get to take our 20th anniversary trip to Maine where I was going to gorge myself and eat my weight and lobster every single day of the week. My wife was going to have chicken because there's a shellfish allergy in there somewhere. But it's okay. We were going to, like, a lot of stuff didn't happen. And I don't want to draw any sort of dramatic conclusions or make any sort of prophetic declarations, but I do think there are some really important parallels for us to note, and I think that's this. When God wants to speak to us, it often requires a pause from us. And I hate the moments in my life when I'm so unwilling to give God the pause of my own free will that he comes in and takes it because he demands it from me. Maybe, just maybe, there's a parallel in your life there. I know that when God orchestrates difficult circumstances and allows difficult circumstances in our lives, like maybe the one that we have been in and continue to be in, I know that when God allows and even orchestrates difficult circumstances in our lives, it's because in those moments, circumventing us is the best way to challenge us and to come in and change us and to make us better into the people that he has called and asked and, and required for us to be. It's not a coincidence that our very first Sunday together in this space, post, well, we're not really post, but in the middle of this COVID season where we're finally transitioning to being in each other's company again, it's not a coincidence that here we land on the Apostle Paul, affectionately known in this story as Saw Acts chapter 9, starting with verse 1. This is a life that was really interrupted. And I think that we can learn something from that. So if you want to turn in your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 9 and encounter 
Saul, let's pray together as we read God's word. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and your affection and your plans. Thank you for the parts of this whole season that we don't understand. Thank you for um, the challenges that we've endured along the way because they have better equipped us to be your people for a new day because, God, we recognize that you're calling us to something new in all of this and you're transforming us into new creations in all of this. And so, God, we say to you today that in spite of the fact that we don't understand the path that you're taking us on, we lovingly trust you and commit ourselves to follow you wherever it leads Teach us something today, God, not only about who we are in Christ, but about your character that draws us closer to the heart of Jesus. It's in his powerful name that we pray. Amen. Starting in verse 1, it says, meanwhile, what's the meanwhile? It's meanwhile, while all of these believers are now under persecution. If you go back, you read a couple of chapters over that Stephen was the first martyr of the Christian faith. And so we know that believers are being persecuted, and yet God is continuing to add to the number of people who trust Jesus Christ for salvation. In the middle of all this, it says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And I got to stop for just a second. It's not even in my notes and highlight the fact that this says in scripture, both men and women. We got to highlight the fact that there are female followers of Jesus Christ in the first, not in the first century, the first few weeks of being followers of Jesus Christ, and they're making an incredible difference in the life of the kingdom. So he wants to target not just the men who are making a difference, but those women, we got to get them out of here too, because they're making an incredible distance for the kingdom. You go, girl. He might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And it says, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. You talk about a dramatic U-turn, life-altering, interrupted kind of experience. It doesn't get much bigger than someone becoming a Christian after they had been a Christian killer. It doesn't come more dramatic than that one. And what we got to note is that this story about Saul really ought to be every single one of our stories because it's in your notes. And I apologize. Well, not really apologize. Not my fault. I didn't create COVID, but we can't give you a paper guide on Sunday mornings for you to write in with a pen because then we'd have to clean all the pens and that would be dramatic. So we have an app where you can follow along with notes or you can bring your own legal pad and pencil like we did in the old school days and just write things down. I talk fast. You're going to have to hang on. But this is a really important thing that we're going to want to land on and talk about. Today, God's purpose for us always works a reverse in us. Now, I'm going to say it with some emphasis on the words. God's purpose for us always works a reverse in us. You want to know why? Because we are typically a people who go the wrong way. And for God to work out his perfect purpose in us, it's going to require him to work out a reverse in us to send us a different direction. And that's the story of Paul's salvation. And even if you've never been a Christian killer, I hope you've never been a Christian killer, because if you are, I don't want you to be here. I want you to be in prison somewhere because somebody should have prosecuted you. But if you have been that dramatically opposed to the work of Jesus Christ, hopefully you can see the story that's now related to in your life where he moved you from being someone who was out to persecute anybody who followed the way to becoming an outspoken part of a group of people who would literally die for the call and the cause of Jesus Christ. That's the story of all of our salvation. 
Regardless of how dramatically you were opposed to the goodness of Jesus, the story of our salvation is that God worked a reverse in your life to take you off of the path that you were on in a 180 direction and put you in a brand new place of his purpose in your life. This is why Jesus stepped out of heaven and endured crucifixion so that you and I might get off of the path that we were on and onto the path that he wants us on. Paul's story, regardless of how undramatic your is, is everybody's story. It's life moving in one direction towards doom and destruction. And then the grace and the goodness of Jesus intervenes and interrupts the place that you're going and the direction that you're heading and floods in it to combat sin and evil. We kind of need to sidetrack for a second and talk about evil, because if we don't have a good working theology of evil in our lives, then we don't have a good working theology of who Jesus is in our lives. And there's some things that we know to be true about evil, but we forget them along the way because, well, there's a lot of other stuff that we got to remember. And so we forget some of the important things that we need to know. This is so often true about evil. We cannot be surprised. I don't know why we are. We shouldn't be surprised when authority sanctions evil. When the authority and the powers and the rulers in this world not only endorse it and allow it, but sanction this kind of evil. This is when we switch illustrations and we move away from COVID because that's not the only thing that's upset the season that we're living in in our life. It's a tragedy of inequality and injustice and racism. It's hate-fueled stain of sin, and it reeks, and it's, it's, it's alive, and it's hanging out among us. What has to be said in this moment, I don't want to mess this up, is that this doesn't just mean that something is really, really wrong with all the awful bigots and dramatic racists in the world. It would be easy to isolate it and say something is really wrong with all the racists and bigots and like sheets and horse riding and all kinds of crazy. We can isolate them and put them into a category called, I don't know, Southerners that ride around in big pickup trucks and wear tank tops and have confederate. We can call them whatever we want to call them, but whenever we isolate racism and say that that's the kind of bigotry that God hates and that's the kind of racism that God hates, we can very conveniently step into another box and say, I'm not like that. The problem isn't just with the really awful bigots and race, something's wrong with us, and maybe something's wrong with you. The problem with where we are right now is that what's going on in our country, what we see as the undercurrent of news cycle in our country, has been an interruption for me. It's been an interruption from my normal life, but it hasn't been an interruption for people of color. It's been their normal life. And so what we need is for this interruption to last a little longer and to ultimately pray that it's more than just an interruption. This passage today isn't one that's explicitly about racism. It's not explicitly about bigotry. Don't worry, the Bible has plenty of those. And we're actually going to get to them in the life of Paul because they're coming up pretty soon in the book of Acts. But we'd be really remiss not to notice prophecy, not a declaration, but at least a parallel to where we are in this moment. Because the picture that we see of racism in the world can't be the crazy one that you look about in the past, or the crazy one that you see in the news, or the crazy one that you see in the South, or wherever it is you want to look. The one that we really have to get in, in check is the one that lives inside of us in our hearts and in our minds and in ultimately our systems of authority and in our 
positions of power. I've been wrestling with this statement all week, and for me, this is so true, that if the idea of black lives matter or white privilege have somehow bothered any of us, then we need to sit down and reread Luke chapter 15 together, because there's a powerful story, again, that's not about racism explicitly, but it has a word to speak to us, because if either of those things have bothered me and interrupted me and inconvenienced me, then I need to go back to Luke chapter 15, because it's a story about two brothers, and my older one is showing and I got to get the jealous older brother in check. We can't be surprised when the authority that's in this world, because it's of this world, it's from the ruler of this world, it's from the evil that lurks around in this world. We can't be surprised when actual authority sanctions really evil things. There's a subtext in this request that Paul made to the high priest. It's not set out for us, but here's the deal. The high priest said yes. Here's your papers. Signed, sealed, delivered. Go do your evil task. The same authority, the same high priestly system that sanctioned the crucifixion of Jesus was now allowing the great evil against Christians. And what we have to wrestle with as believers and what we have to dive into theologically as people who trust that this word is true is that this Jesus, who could have come to change all of our broken systems, was really just intent to save lost sinners. There, there's evil in the world, and authority sanctions it. And it's up to us as individual believers who've been transformed by the heart of Jesus to challenge and to change that. The second thing that we want to know about evil is that it affects every one of us, but that it's an affront it is an affront to Almighty God, and even though it's an affront to Almighty God, it never thwarts His purpose. Isaiah chapter 14, 27 says this, For the Lord Almighty has purposed. Who can thwart Him? Who can come against and stand against the Lord? His hand is stretched out, and who can turn it back? Jesus didn't say, why are you persecuting my people? Jesus didn't say, why are you persecuting my church? Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? We can know for sure that any evil in this world is an outright offense, an affront to Almighty God, but it will never thwart his purpose. So as difficult as things are right now, we can understand that God is somehow moving in it to draw people closer to him. Evil does affect us. Evil is an affront to us, but we have to be so careful in these moments not to put ourselves on the side of evil being offensive to us that we forget that evil is also inside of us. Because it's easy to say, I'm not like that, so I must be okay. Evil's not only an affront to me, Evil's in me. That's why I so desperately daily need Jesus Christ. Back to Paul. It says that the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound in verse 7, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. He was blinded by the light. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. That's what I need to do post-COVID because I ate and drank just about everything I could during this whole season. My goodness, we were baking, having sweet treats in the house all the time. We made deliveries of sweet treats, but we also ate our fair share of those sweet treats. Saul, 
Knowing the Old Testament the way that he did, he recognized immediately that the blinding light that he saw that day was ultimately a theophany, which is a visible manifestation of God in the world where humankind can see a picture of who he is present with them. He knew who that was. But the question is what baffled him. What's really dramatic about this story is that it's not just the physical blindness that Paul endured for three days. It was the spiritual blindness that he endured for all his life. And it would not just be the physical blindness that would go away in a miracle a couple of verses later, but it was the spiritual blindness that would go away as he saw who Jesus really is. In verse 10, it says, in Damascus, we're switching gears, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision and said, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. I love how detailed the Lord is in this moment, and I ask him all the time, would you be this detailed in my life? What if God gave us this kind of instructions? What if it sounds like a spy movie, go to the end of the street to a man named Saul from Tarsus, he's there praying. You're going to find him in the house of a man named Judas. This message will self-destruct. Like this mission, should you? it's like super explicit instructions. I wish God would give me super explicit instructions. Go to the house of a man named Bob. He lives on Granny White Pike. Take him chocolate chip, banana bread, and pray together with he and his wife Betty before going home. Like that would be great if I woke up every morning with an explicit instruction about what to do today from God. It says in verse 12, in a vision, in a vision, this guy... Saul from Tarsus, in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias. That's you. Come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And then Lord Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all of the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Paul had a reputation. These people knew who Saul was, and Ananias had a right. He had common sense to be nervous in this moment. This is what Saul was known for. What are you and I known for? What's, what's our reputation? It might be something from your past that you can't seem to shake, that people won't let you move away from, or people won't let you forget. If you knew the words that came out of 16-year-old Nick Allen's mouth, I think you would have that moment where, Lord, there's a reputation. We've, we've heard about the words that 20 years ago, oh, that's not even the right math, it's more than 20 years ago, came out of his mouth. How can he stand before us today and be a pastor? I'm so glad that the Lord doesn't hold us accountable to our past. And I just want to give you some freedom. I want to say anything that's, anything that you know has been wrong about you, you have the freedom to change your mind and allow the work of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ to flood inside of you and transform you. I'm so glad that the words of 16-year-old or 20-year-old or even 25-year-old Nick Allen are not necessarily true about me today. I'm so glad that through the freedom that's been afforded me in Jesus Christ, I've been able to move away from that. And this story is certainly not 20 years in the making. It's really 20 minutes in the making. But I'm so thankful that God can transform the human heart in an instant. And you're not held accountable. You're not responsible for all the things you did pre-Christ or all the things you did in the absence of Christ's wisdom in your life, all the things that you said and even posted yesterday, they may live 
but you don't have to live under it. It's okay to change your mind, to say I got it wrong, to say I messed up, to humbly ask for forgiveness, and to say, thankfully, that's not who I am today. God saw past who Saul was in the moment and knew who he could transform him to be. This is what the Lord said about him. Verse 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man, love this, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I'm going to use this guy and I'm going to use him big. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And that ought to make you look a little puzzled. But then if you evaluate your own life and your own ministry and your own call to Christ, it ought to make you relax a little bit because here's the deal. God can use you, but it's going to cost you. It will. What has loving and serving and following Jesus cost you in your life? That word suffer here in the original Greek language, it's simply translated as to be affected to feel it, to undergo it. It doesn't always have to have this negative connotation like suffering does for us. Suffering doesn't always have to be bad. In fact, I think this, suffering might be providentially and prescriptively just what we need to see and show Jesus better with our lives. We may need a little dose of suffering. We may need a little dose of life interrupted, Social distancing, quarantine, safer at home 101 so the Lord can somehow interact with us and cause us to lose and to grapple and to struggle and to walk through difficulty so we can better see him and so we can better show him to the world. It says in verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. This is my favorite part in the whole story. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know my favorite part of that verse is? Ananias placed his hands on him. The Lord is a hands-on God. and He has called us to be a hands-on church. We want to be hands-on in this community. We want to be hands-on in this city. We want to be a feet-to-the-ground, hands-on mission, sold-out body of believers who are excited to get our feet wet and our hands dirty doing His work in this world. We want to put our hands on it. Not sit back idly and watch God. There are so many hands-on ways that we see God working in the life of our church. JMI, Justice and Mercy International, that has not only called us to be believers who, who give and support the work that's happening on the ground now, and we have staff teams available working in hands-on ways, providing food and resources and clothes and education and opportunities for people in parts of the world that desperately need to feel Jesus' hands on them. You want to know who feels Jesus' hands on them? Sick and hurting and lost and hopeless people who are touched by a believer in Jesus Christ. Those aren't that believer's calloused hands. They're Jesus Christ's nail-scarred hands, touching and providing hope. We look at this neighborhood and this city. We have a worship one, serve one philosophy in the life of our church. We have a serve one, serve all philosophy in the life of our church. You know who's getting their hands dirty this morning? The volunteers, but that's okay because they're going to wash them a whole lot with hand sanitizer and hand-washing stations because, you know, COVID, we got to make sure that we stay clean. 
but we can still be hands-on. Shower-up trucks are now parked in our parking lot. You know shower-up because they provide showers for people in this community who are homeless, and so we serve them and we put their trucks in our parking lot because they need a place to store them because it also announces to this entire city, this entire neighborhood, hey, wow, that's a hands-on church. You're doing something. We're not going to make prophetic declarations, but we can look at some really good parallels in this passage of Scripture to our own lives. This is an important one that sometimes, sometimes Jesus has to make you blind before you can really see. Isn't that true? Sometimes he has to blind us to the things of this world so that we can really see the light that he's called us to live. When Ananias put his hands on him, it says in verse 18, immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up, he was baptized. I can't wait to do that here. I don't know when social distancing restrictions will allow us to this point, but I cannot wait to fill that up with water and baptize a new believer in Jesus Christ and to celebrate the gift of a transformed life in this space. Saul got up, and immediately he was baptized, and after taking some food, because three days later he's hungry, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, and at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Everybody was astonished. You can continue reading about that. Everybody was mind-blown about what he was doing. And then it says in verse 22, I love this, Saul grew more and more powerful, and he baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. You know, it's okay to not feel capable of what God has called you to. You'll grow into it. Saul grew more powerful. That word powerful in the Greek language is, is the, the, the word endunao, and it literally means capable, to be made capable. And Paul grew into it. You know where that capability came from, endunao? This idea of receiving power, it came from Jesus. It came from the transformed life that God had called him to live. And where did it start? It started at the moment he was saved and redirected from his life of sin and evil and purposed to a path that Jesus had chosen for him. If you're somebody who's on the wrong road this morning, here's what God wants to say to you. He wants to look you in the eye and say, I can turn all that around. If you're on the wrong road this morning, I can turn all of that around. Paul never saw it coming. And, and what we have to know is that there is countless people in Scripture, by the prompting of the Holy Spirit working in their life through their circumstances and their relationships and Scripture calling them to something different, they, they not only saw it coming, but they sought it out. Maybe you're the, the, the Saul on the road to Damascus and you do not see salvation coming. Maybe you're the person who's evaluating where you are and what road you're on and you're seeking out the forgiveness that only Jesus can bring and the life that he wants to call you to. At the close of the service, Patrick and I will both be right up here up front kind of hanging out near both the piano and the keyboard and we would love nothing more than to talk to you about what it means to get off of this road and onto the path that God has for you. That's called salvation. It's called being forgiven, and it's called being free. And that's what God desires for you. 
that you wouldn't keep heading down that road today. And for those of us who are already believers in Jesus Christ that find ourselves waffling back and forth on the roads that we walk on over and over and over again, what we have to ask in this moment is that, Holy Spirit of God, would you reveal the hidden parts of evil that still exist in us, the hidden parts and desires that want to be back on that road again, and redirect us toward your good path and hands-on mission calling that you've given us. And Lord, if you have to make us blind along the way so that we can truly see how good you are, then so be it. If there is struggle and if there is suffering, then so be it. Because more than anything else, we want to be made more capable image bearers of Jesus who make a difference in the world that we live in, understanding that even the circumstances that we're under have a powerful, powerful, powerful way of redirecting our paths and changing us from within so that we can be more like your son. That's the goal. And that's my prayer for myself, my family, but also each of you. We're coming to a close on our very first service here in this church. And I pray that it's one that has stirred up something in you, challenged and changed something in you to help you better be the person that God has created and called and purposed you to be. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for the place that we sit and the room that we occupy and the beautiful facility that we're in. Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have to be together in this place. And thank you for the opportunity that we have to be called by your grace to a point in our lives where we desire nothing more than the forgiveness of our sins and the redirection of our paths so that we can be your chosen instruments, sons and daughters called out in a hands-on mission to seek and save the lost and to change the patterns of evil in this world so that people know who you are and how much you love them. We want people to know how much you love them. We want the bad things that are going on in our city and our country and our world to change. And we recognize fully, God, that you alone have the power to do that. And somehow you want to use us as your tools to make it happen. Father, call us, unify us, and cause us to make the kind of difference in this world that was made in the life of Paul and in the life of the early church as they set the world on fire with the hope of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray today. Amen.